Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome to another week of Real Personal Finance. Thank you. Excited to jump in. Me too. Um, Fun question today. Well, not fun. Sad that we have to have this question, but um, I hope we can really help out with it today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ag- agreed. But we have a fun little announcement by the end of today's episode. So a quick yeah, little hang on. teaser. That's like, that's like the teaser, right? Like you, you got to wait for the programming to end to find out what's going on today. But super excited about where we're headed today. Yes. Yeah. But first we have a question and yeah, then we'll tie that into where we're headed. Absolutely. Let's dive right in. So so Adam writes in and, and says, hey, guys, I need some help. And I imagine many of your listeners do, too. I've met with multiple financial advisors, and all of them have two things in common. Number one, they all say they are fiduciary. Number two, they all try and pitch me on various types of annuities, to supplement or augment my portfolio. Can you please address annuities on a show? Everything I read online says stay away from annuities, all types. And I am losing trust for the financial advisor industry. Are there cases where an annuity is a good move? P.S. I asked the last guy your recommended set of questions from a previous show He was impressed with the questions I asked. How else are you paid? And did say insurance commissions, but Mm -hmm. also said nobody asked him that. Thanks for the question, Adam. Um, Bummed that we have to keep having this discussion because you're right. It's the trust in our industry is really, really low. Yeah. It's, and it's, every advisor I've ever talked to has said they're a fiduciary. Very few percentage of them are actually true 100% fiduciary. So it's the the challenge as a consumer, if you're in Adam's shoes, is asking is not enough sometimes. Asking, you'll get an answer. But I I remember this a few years back. Um, I was launching my firm. had a friend, really nice guy, does good work, good planner. But he worked for uh, Northwestern Mutual, which just, you know, they sell insurance. They're just not fiduciaries. And I said, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm setting it up to be RIA, fiduciary only. And he said, oh, that's really cool. I'm also a fiduciary. Yeah. And I just, I didn't even know what to say because I was like, literally by definition, you are not. And so you have consumers who are confused because you have advisors that are confused. And I think in today's episode, we want to unpack a couple of things of what, how do you, how can you tell without a shadow of a doubt whether someone's actually a fiduciary? Ask the specific question, but is there any case where an annuity makes sense? And then talk about options of how can you find a service or an advisor that does fit more appropriately with what people are trying to trying to get with their financial planning. Fully agree, man. And and you know the fact that like first of all, fiduciary. If you've never heard the term before, we'll dive into it more in detail. Where did it come from? It actually came out of law, 
um, actually came out of court cases based on law. And the laws through which we operate are actually really old. Um, so we'll touch on that a bit today. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you probably want someone who's working in your best interests or actually try, even more so they they're, they need to act as though in a sense they're on your side of the table completely and trying to remove as many um, conflicts of interest as possible. We'll talk about that today in more detail and where we think you can go find um, some people who are going to, in a sense, be what I would call dolphins swimming amongst sharks. And I actually think there's some good sharks in the water. <laughs> I just think anytime someone's selling a product, you have to recognize their incentive is to sell the product. It's just the way it works. That's how we get, that's how they get paid. So if I only get paid by helping you repair your house, I'm going to look for things that need to be repaired, even if there aren't many things that need to be repaired, because that's how I get paid, right? Mm -hmm. If I get paid instead where you pay me an annual amount of money and I only repair things when they need to be repaired, I'm probably not going to repair things as often because if something doesn't actually need to be repaired, why would I do that? So right. I think I think we just have to take the time to walk you through that in a bit more detail. But yeah, definitely let's let's chat about annuities. We chatted about them before. Um do we like them? Do we not like them? Are there cases in which they can make sense? And then we'll chat about um, how to find why the background of how to find an advisor, how it works, the structure of how people get paid, and then where we can find one. And then we can end with our exciting news. Yeah, let's do it. Where do you want to start with all those things? Uh, annuities. Annuities. About them. Um, I would say, like anything, they have their place. Otherwise, it wouldn't really exist. You know, these things wouldn't be laws. These things wouldn't be things if there was absolutely zero use cases for them. Yep. The problem is most annuities they pay a really significant commission. You know, a lot of annuities pay five, six, seven percent commission. So if I can go sell someone an annuity for a hundred thousand dollars, I might make seven thousand dollars right off the bat. Yep. If I can go sell someone an annuity for five hundred thousand dollars, I might make thirty-five thousand dollars right off the bat. That's that's pretty attractive. Now, when I say me, like we're actually not registered or set up to sell them and that's on purpose because we don't want that, that conflict to exist. But what you have is you have something that can be a good fit in very select, almost narrow ranges of places from a planning perspective, in my opinion. But because the compensation is so attractive, it leads people to sell them for any reason, even just saying everyone should have an annuity but the real reason is they're getting paid quite a bit of money for selling it. I largely agree with everything you're saying. I mean, if you're in the business of selling insurance products, selling term life insurance doesn't make you much money. And that's the right. thing that we advocate the most for like insurance type products on the show, because we think everyone needs it if they have a human capital issue in their life where they need that human capital to be protected. Mm -hmm. Once you get into universal life or variable life or any type of life insurance policy, and then an even annuities, which is a different type of investment policy as well, usually offered through insurance companies, the commissions go up dramatically. The use cases go down dramatically, as you're saying. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree with what you're saying. Yeah. 100%. Where do you see, a new, you know, there's a lot of cases where it doesn't make sense for someone who's young, building wealth, all those things. Yeah. It really... Well, Almost Before we dive does. into where it makes sense, I just want to briefly explain what is actually happening when you purchase an annuity, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people don't really get it. 
Like, because you'll see, like, especially right now with this year, with the markets down, um, annuity people who like to sell annuities or companies that like to sell annuities are going to be out in force right now. Why? Because the stock market's down. So your returns are down and it makes a vote that creates a vulnerability in the markets. Now that actually is a part of the markets. We already know it exists out of every year, seven out of 10, typically it goes up three out of 10, it goes down. So we know automatically that 30% of the time, our expectation is it should be down. This is one of those years. But when it's down, what happens is, is you can you can kind of get preyed upon in a sense by your vulnerability. Now, I just want to explain briefly what happens. So let's just let's imagine that James, you're going to buy an annuity. And let's just say I'm not even going to talk about the type of annuity it is. What's going to happen is, is James is going to enter into a contract with an insurance company and he's going to send money to the insurance company. And for that, the insurance company is going to make some level of guarantee. And I do say guarantee because they actually are making some form of a guarantee. Now, maybe they're saying that, hey, James, you send me $1,000 a month and I will offer you a rate of return that can't go lower than 3%. Oh, and if the market does better, we'll match the market move up to 14%. You know, and it sounds so good on paper. It sounds great. Now, the question is, how can they actually do that? The way that they do that is they only make contracts that they can guarantee by investing themselves in the markets, keeping for themselves a profit and giving you back a guaranteed payment in the future. Mm -hmm. So just think of it this simply. James can either take his money, go invest it himself, go with the ups and downs of the market. And so long as he stays invested, he'll probably almost always end up better off than if he were to buy the annuity product. Because the annuity product has charges built in it, a commission upfront on the sale to protect that sale from the insurance company. They offer this thing called surrender charges, which means if I put 100K in and I want to get my money back, I have to take 10% less maybe 1% less thereafter each year until it finally goes down to no surrender charges. That's just the insurance company making their money back on the sale. And then they offer this, uh, these like ways that we can invest it. Perhaps there's, I'm getting, a, I'm being really simplistic. So a new insurance people, please don't at me. I am being simplistic, but what I'm just getting at is for the most people, an annuity does not make sense. Mm-hmm. Is there anything mm-hmm. you would add to what I've explained to just flush it out a little bit more? No, just to add on to th- there's so many different types of annuities that yes, they, they're all going to work slightly differently. They're all some derivative of an insurance contract. And there's some what you're saying is making sense. You are you are exchanging some level of certainty for a cost. So I'm paying the company a cost in order for some certainty. And that certainty can look different based upon what provisions there are in the annuity. But yes, that's essentially what you're doing. 100%. 100%. You're literally, you're getting a guarantee of less is what you're getting every time. People, are like, they'll come at you saying like, hey, I guarantee this. And it's like, cool. The only way you can guarantee that is by building in an expected rate of return for the portfolio that you're going to invest that's greater than that. And then giving me the difference. And you yep. get to keep the difference. That's it. That's the way it works. It's that. It's literally that simple. 
But when you go look at the contracts, they are hundreds of pages long. Yep. When does it make sense? Oh, man. So to the main the main time, in my opinion, two well, two times that it makes sense. One is um, if you've ever traveled before and you've been out for like a long period of time in your in your suitcase and you get delayed, you go put on the cleanest, dirty shirt, right? Like, like, you're like, okay, I don't have my laundry done, so I'm gonna put on the cleanest, dirty shirt. I'll make the best of it as I can. I think one one thing that we all see is that annuities will come in where there's a use case that might make sense, but the annuity is just a really, really, it's not the best annuity. And annuities just recognize that what you care about is the insurance company who's backing it. Can they actually afford to make the payments? And then relative to that, if you look at the other products that are available of a similar type, is it an expensive annuity? Is it an inexpensive annuity? So there's a couple of things we care about when we look at that. So one thing I think does make sense, if someone has a use case for an annuity and they already have one, I would just want to look at, does it make sense to do an exchange? Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. When you buy an annuity, there's there's the contract itself, which is kind of like the chassis of the product. There's a product itself. And the annuity companies add in a whole bunch of bells and whistles, which is essentially just other costs, paying for riders, paying for different things. And it's not uncommon to see some annuities that internally are costing three and a half, four percent So if someone has that, but let's say this isn't in an IRA or Roth IRA, but it's just in a brokerage account or a non-qualified account, I should say, if you just sell it and take the proceeds, there's penalties and there's tax consequences, and you just don't do that sometimes. So sometimes it makes more sense to exchange into another annuity that has way fewer bells and whistles, aka far fewer expenses internally, and you're just using it for the chassis, just using it for the account type, but you're cutting out maybe 2 3% of the overall cost in doing so. So it's, it's almost you can get better annuities to replace older annuities. Now, that's not cleaning up the annuity itself, and it's not necessarily a use case, except for you know it's less bad. Um, the other one I would say is single premium immediate annuities, which is essentially like buying yourself a pension. That's a this lot of work right there, man. Single premium immediate annuity. Walk so us let's say that. I retire. I retire and I've got a lump sum of cash. Let's just say it's $500,000. Mm-hmm. And I'm terrified of the market. I don't want to accept the ups and downs of the market. I have longevity in my family. Maybe I know I might need this money for a long time. What's longevity I mean, mean? Longevity means I might live a long time. Thank so, you. I might look at my money and say, okay, I could invest this 500,000, but I'm concerned that if it's not invested properly, I might run out and I can't afford to run out. Or I'm afraid that this might last me 20 or 30 years, but I maybe have longer than 20 or 30 years in terms of how long I think I might live. I might put that money into a single premium. So single premium, meaning a one-time purchase an annuity, and essentially you're purchasing a pension. The annuity company might say, okay, James, for your $500,000, We'll pay you, I'm just making up a number, $30,000 per year for as long as you live. If you live five years, we'll pay you it for five years. If you live 50 years, we'll pay it to you for 50 years. But what it's doing is it's it's transferring risk to the insurance company. Yep. So now the risk of me living a very long time is their burden. And yep. they've got the law of large numbers on their end. So they're they're not as concerned. Yep. Um, and I just get a monthly paycheck. Now, to you and I, I think there's other things we'd want to look at before going down that route, but for the right person, that could potentially be a use case. 
I, I wouldn't, I fully agree. Uh, if, when you have someone who has, who's risk averse is scared to be invested properly to allow themselves to get a proper return. This is one instance where handing off the risk to the insurance company can make a lot of sense. Yes, hundred percent right. agree. I've also seen it in, it's, it's similar to a SPIA, a, a single uh, premium immediate annuity, but um, they'll actually, rather than it being immediate, they will defer the payment to some future date. So you might also choose in that instance where you have the lump sum, maybe you have a bunch of extra cash left over and you basically just want to say, well, I'm okay investing most of it for my life, but what if everything goes to <laughs> poop? <laughs> Sorry, we're a clean show, so I can't say what I want to say, but it all goes downhill. Well, let's take 300 grand of that and put it in a single premium annuity today. And I can turn it on wherever I want in the future. And the more I delay that, the higher my payment becomes for the rest of my life. And then there's other things you can build into it. Like you could build in that maybe if I, maybe I want to turn it on when I'm finally 80 or 85, because I've really designed my, my life to live until 90. And now I just want to make sure I have the little excess when I need extra costs. Right. You can even have it built in so that it'll pay back the rest of the premium um, should you not use it in other ways. So there, there is an instance where it, I think it can make sense. But it's pretty rare. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't see very many cases. I, I think if the average person, more than the average person, just said, I'm going to plan on not using annuities in my financial strategy, 99 times out of 100, maybe they'd probably be better off for it. Yep. So I would totally default agree. to not needing it. But if totally there's agree. some more planning oh, needed. And that's going to be clear. The one thing that we're not saying to do here, which is the one that you'll hear a lot of, of, advisors, if you're watching the show, I'm putting advisors in quotes right now, because when someone says they're a fiduciary and they sell annuity products, I get a little, my blood starts to boil a little bit. Cause I'm like, dude, if you're being a fiduciary, you need to make sure that the incentives aren't really aligned for on the commission side of things when you're being a fiduciary, if you understand the way the rule works. So that's where like your friend saying they were one that kind of, it does irk yeah. me a little bit. That's where I think if you can find an RIA, which we'll dive into a bit more, that's dolphin swimming among sharks. It's just our job is we have to do well by you. We can't choose to eat you in that moment. Even <laughs> it's like finding Nemo where fish are friends. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Dolphins and fish, largely friends. I guess they eat each other. Need a better analogy. Um, anyway, where I'm going with that is... Um, you just you just need to make sure that you have someone who's there to help you, who's going to help you do the right thing. Yep. That's Where can I find that person? Yeah. So let's briefly break that down. I just want to share my screen. So if you're watching at home. And while Scott's doing this, yeah, just a reminder, we are on YouTube, Real Personal Finance. So watch us banter back and forth on YouTube and watch uh, Scott's artwork as we do it yeah, as well. My, my beautiful artwork. How to find a real financial planner is what I'm what I'm saying for this one. Now, there's two different um law, well, there's well, technically three laws, but coming out of the Great Depression, um, there were a few laws that that the congressmen put in place to try to protect consumers when working in the financial markets. The first two were called the 1933 and 34 Securities Acts. And the 33 and 34 Securities Acts basically created a space for what we'll call broker dealers.
And broker dealers are basically like if you're downtown or you're at a game and you see someone's name written across the top, like Northwestern Mutual or Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley or, you know, JP Morgan Chase, those folks with the big names are almost always operating under the 1933 and 34 Securities Acts. And they are what we would call a broker dealer. And a broker dealer, when you work with someone, they have to operate under what we call a suitability rule. As opposed to what, Scott? I'll get there. Suitability just simply means that like I'm a, I'm a broker and James comes in to see me. James and I determine quickly that he needs to invest and he really wants to be invested in the S&P 500. I can, from a suitability standpoint, I can offer him any S&P fund. Now, I might have one that pays me 1% and I might have one that pays me 0.03%. Which one am I going to choose? You're going to choose 1%. Of course I am because I make more money, right? So it's just the incentive is set up such that I make money when I sell products to people. So I'm going to line myself up to make as much money as I can on selling. Now, as much is kind of crude. That's like a cynic version. But just realize that if I have a choice between 1%, you know, 0.03%, and maybe there's a 0.75% option, maybe I choose the 0.75% option because I don't need to make all the money off of James. But I'm definitely not choosing the 0.03% option because I don't make any money. I have to live, right? there. That's the incentive is I have to make a living. We should all make a living. Just recognize when you work with big name firms who are operate under suitability, they're making money off of selling things to you. It's just how it works. Now, yep. the person selling might not make money directly by selling to you, but they're making money through selling things to you and by having and then having like certain buckets filled within their firm. It, it, that's the simplest way I can explain it. Is there anything else you'd add to this style? Nope. That sounds okay. good. So then down here, we have the 1940 Act. The 1940 Act created registered investment advisors. That's what James and I have for our firms, Root Financial. And are there, you just called Root now? He just did a, he did, he just did the coolest rebranding ever. So you should go check out his website. I'm very jealous. So Stone Steps Financial and Root Financial are registered investment advisors. We operate under the 1940 Securities Act. The 1940 Securities Act made it so that we have to operate as, and I don't think it actually said it in the in the document, uh, fiduciaries. We have to operate as fiduciaries at all times. This is one of the biggest issues. I want to say, I'm going to write here, at all times. If you go watch, you're going to see I literally put at all times. Why did I do that? I personally get upset with one of the credentials that we carry, the CFP board, the Certified Financial Planning designation, because they allow people to take a hat off and put a hat back on. So I can be a broker dealer and say I'm a fiduciary, but then I can go sell you a product and I can take that hat off and go sell you the product under suitability. And now I can come back and I can put the hat back on. To me, that makes it very confusing. And that's really what um, Adam was dealing with more than likely. That's exactly what I was going to say. Adam, the, the, the person who told you this may not have been lying. They may be a fiduciary and 
a broker dealer, but they're not telling you under which capacity they're operating. They're not telling you, am I making this recommendation as a fiduciary or as a broker dealer, just that I'm, I am one, but that doesn't prevent them from uh, selling products and doing non-fiduciary. So new question you want to call that it. I just realized would be a good one. Are you always, always a fiduciary? That's in addition to the two questions that we'd asked before. How do I pay you? How else are you paid? If someone can say they're always a fiduciary, you pay them directly, they get paid in no other way, they more than likely are a fiduciary at all times. If they say no to any of those questions along the way, they more than likely are not a fiduciary at all times. And to be clear, guys, the, the, it's your choice who you want to work with. Like, we'll talk more about that too. but. The registered investment advisor space is a small space with a small amount of investable assets compared to the broker dealer side of things, right? If if it was in terms of size, I don't actually have the size numbers in front of me, but I just know that the broker dealers are like a behemoth. They're like the biggest cruise ship ever out on the water. And the RIA space is basic. It's not a dinghy, but it's certainly just a little yacht compared to that cruise ship. Like there's just not a lot of money in the RIA space, comparatively speaking. That actually makes it really hard for you guys from a service perspective, though. Is there? Am I missing anything for this so far, sir? No, I think we should talk about where they can find, where where can people find uh, these RIAs or these fiduciaries? Well, that's, that is where I want to go next. And my thing is like, you have to, I, I, but I want to touch on cost first, because cost matters. And just recognize that a registered investment advisor, there are not lots of them. So they're scarce. I'm going to write RIA equals scarcity. What happens if you have a scarce product, James? Price of that product goes up. Price is high. Especially if you want, like the work that James and I do, where we're fee-only fiduciaries, who are doing a full service offering to our clients. We're investing holistically. So the way I I explain it to clients whenever you work with us is I just draw a star and you have investments up here and then you have like insurance here and your estate plan here and then like cash flow and balance sheets. You got to look at the site to see it and then taxes. Like we're doing all this stuff for you and you guys are the focus of it. You're the lens through which we make all your choices. That's a very expensive service. And you'll typically see fees start somewhere between probably like five to 10K at the minimums for a minimum fee to work with an advisor. Now they may tell you in terms of dollar amounts that they could invest you could invest with them. So you might see between a half a million and a million dollars. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. There certainly outliers, certainly um, shouldn't say outliers. Certainly firms outside of that, but I would say the majority, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. And then from there. Um, you might find someone who could help you with hourly. And if you do, it's probably going to be in the range of like, I don't know, between 150 to like 500 bucks an hour, depending on like how good they are to do hourly work for you. If you just want to plan, but you can see it gets expensive really fast. Now, the reason I, I explained that though, is because when you go look at the, the broker dealer side of things, if you understand their incentives, they can actually be fairly inexpensive way to get, get help. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. 
Um, so that's that. Now, where can they go find one? What do you think, sir? I'll just write in the names that you give. Yeah, uh, NAPFA, N-A-P-F-A, for those of you listening at home, just helps you find a fiduciary advisor, whether that's hourly, project-based, or comprehensive, what's called the assets under management model, where they will manage your assets and largely charge a fee from that. Uh, CFP has a website where you can look to find that. You have groups like the XY Planning Network. You have groups like Garrett Planning Network. These are groups that help to connect you with, there's some screens that you could run. So if you're looking for retirement planning, or if you're a business owner, or if you are military, or whatever your specific stage of life is, they can help to connect you with the right person with the right fee schedule to do that. And we'll be the first to admit, Scott, as we're going through like us, obviously, Stone Steps Financial, Root Financial, we are fiduciaries. This is the work that we do. And regardless of whether it's hourly or assets under management or project-based, they're all different ways of charging to get access to a certain project. And there's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Exactly. And what we found is even within those options, there's there's kind of a gap between what's needed and what's currently available. Totally agree, man. And I think that's so, just to be clear, NAPFA is the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. And the key here is that you have to be fee only, have a CFP, and do 60 hours of continuing education every two years. For the CFP, you don't have to be fee only. That's where we said before, you're allowed to take the hat on and off. That's where like a hybrid firm. So they're an RIA and they're at a broker dealer. They'll perhaps take the hat on and off. If you're at a broker dealer, you're probably taking the hat on and off. If you're at an RIA, you leave the hat on all the time. Mm -hmm. And if you're just watching, I was literally taking my hat on and off to explain that. So you CFP, you don't have to be without that visual. Thank yeah, you. right. It's way better with the visual. You do have to be fee. You don't have to be fee only to be a CFP, and you have to do. Th- but you still have to do thirty hours of continuing education um, every two years. Now that yeah. does help make sure that they're pretty good at what they're doing. XY yeah. planning members are automatically NAPFA members. They just usually skew to Gen X and Gen Y. Now even Gen Z. A lot of NAPFA owners skew more to baby boomers just as you're trying to find the right person. Garrett Financial Planning is fee only, but I think it's a flat fee that they have to operate on, if I remember correctly. There's few of them. And the ones that I typically try to search to help people find a fee only flat fee advisor, they're almost always booked full. And it's because the model, just the way the model works, they are inexpensive relative to the market. So they fill up really fast and then they get too busy and then they can't help other people. Just the way it works. Root and Stone Steps, we're just going to grow to be billion-dollar firms. So come on over anytime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So the, the last thing that I would end with as we explain things is I think that what you need to focus on is your level of service that you're looking for. And what I mean by that is let's say it's full service over here. And it's basically like do it yourself over here. And there's a sliding scale. Does that make sense? Yep. So full service, I would say like root is going to be full service. Stone steps is going to be full service. Um, 
most of those NAPFA firms are probably going to be full service. XYPN advisors, I'm going to give them like a scale. I'm going to say they're probably going to be over in this area. So, and what I mean by that is you might find guys that'll do projects for a fee or they might be full service. And when I say full service, what I mean is the way I view it is like, if you want to do everything on your own, that's a full do-it-yourself investor. You don't even want to talk to an advisor. You don't even want a second opinion. You just want to handle it all by yourself and you're never going to reach out for help. The fact that you're listening to this show means you're probably not a full do-it-yourself investor. You're willing to listen to other people to learn, right? But as far as who's going to execute on everything, you're going to do it yourself. So you're still pretty much a do-it-yourself investor. If we think about level of service, that's where I think do-it-yourself investing is. Then in here, you kind of have this middle area. And in the middle area, you might want um, things like, I'm going to write different words that I think people come and look for. They want validation. Um, they want to know, like, maybe you're a do-it-yourselfer, but you want to like, hey, I'd like someone to do a project with me to make sure that I'm doing this correctly, that I'm not missing anything. I want to optimize, but I don't want to full-time optimize. I still want to do things. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Cool. So I think that's where the bulk of our folks live. And then I think that, um, you know, some of the projects and whatnot, you could probably find um, like broker dealers are going to be a bit more transactional. So they're probably going to live to me. Now you tell me if you feel differently, but I think they're probably going to live more so in like this kind of a space. What do you think? It, I would say it totally depends upon the advisor. There's some great advisors in the broker dealer model that do full service. There's some that they literally just sell you a product that you don't need. So there's a huge spectrum there, I'd say. I agree. I know more too, but I think they, what I'm getting at is thank you for reframing that for me. Cause I think they go almost the whole gamut from helping a do it yourself through doing full service. Whereas the registered investment advisory group really just looks at for the more so full service type people, maybe they do some project work. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yep. Well, cool. I agree. Now, the thing that we realized here at Real Personal Finance is that there's a space that's missing. And it's basically on the RIA side, there's basically this whole area that's pretty much neglected. And we'd like to help try to do something about that. So today we are announcing that we are launching what we call Real Personal Finance Nation. Ta-da! We, should, uh, we, need, we need to get the uh, editor to do some like, drum roll stuff as you're announcing that. Right? Don't we need a drum yeah. roll? Exciting. Someone send us in a drum roll. Yeah. But here's what Real Personal Finance Nation will do. Now, the issue with our business, to be clear, is that our business is highly regulated. So we can't offer inexpensive, comprehensive financial planning. Just doesn't happen. However, we can have through a a company that offers educational content, real personal finance, we can start to offer you access to an element scorecard that's your own, a community in which you can get together with others and start having conversations around money and how you're going to help each other and celebrate wins and losses. Think of it like 
Um, I personally think of it like Weight Watchers back in the 80s when my mom was trying to lose weight. She would open up the door, walk in the strip mall, uh, you know, get on the scale and then go sit down in a circle and chat about money. And then once a month, we're going to have ask me anythings between James and myself. So we'll flip on who does them, but it'll be every Friday. I think it's going to be at 11 Pacific, 2 Eastern for one hour. Any question you have, we will try to answer. And what we'll do is we're going to build the, those will be put up in the in the community so you can watch them anytime if you can't make it. And then we're going to slice them up by elements. So we're building out content for you over time. But it's a community to deepen your knowledge base. It's a place to go learn. The thing that it can't be is it can't be us providing you with your specific answer. If you need a specific answer, you need to go reach out to either Root Financial or Stone Steps or an advisor through XY Planning Network, an advisor through NAPFA to go help you find someone who can actually put on their fiduciary hat and help you solve your problems. This is going to be educational content, but driven in a community fashion to help you learn more and do more with your money. And we're going to offer it for 29 bucks a month. It's going to be super simple. So if you want to learn more, go to realpersonalfinance.co and join. We'd love to have you. So let's walk through that. Make sure everyone's super clear. They hear this. They say, I want to join. I want the element square card. I want the community where I can interact with other people talking about this stuff. I want to ask me anything. Go to realpersonalfinance.co, which is the same site we currently have, but there will be a tab there. I think we're going to call it The Nation. So click the on nation. The Nation because the reason we're calling it The Nation is because James and I, our big, hairy, audacious goal is for the U.S. to be financially literate. And we realize that to do that, we need to show you what real financial planning is. And we also need to give you the opportunity to do real financial planning. So this is a wonderful way for you to get access to the brains of certified financial planners for an inexpensive price. Yep. And I just want to be clear, we're not offering it for free for a reason. Free is literally worth nothing to us as human beings. So we're offering it at a price point that's very accessible to anyone so that you will show up and be committed to actually being a part of a community. Love it. So as people are listening to this, if you are looking for full service, you're not going to find that in the the nation. You're going to find that by working with a firm like Scott's, like myself, like a, a, a good fiduciary firm. But if you're saying, you know what, I don't know that I need that full service, but I do need something. I do want more access. I do want my own element scorecard to track my spending rate, my save rate, my burn, all, all of these things. That's what this is for. It's yep. for understanding clearly where you are, helping to understand clearly where you want to go, having some more dedicated time from Scott, from myself, having archives of resources there at a low monthly price that will allow you to get get control of your financial future without feeling like you need to go pay what could be several thousand dollars per year or more if you're working with a full service firm. Exactly. The way that I view this is, you know, and we will you will have access to us through those one hour ask me anythings. But we're not going to be living in the communities because we have full-time jobs to operate, right? But we're going to build a facilitation for you as a community to help you get the right answers. We're also going to create a space for young up-and-coming advisors and training to come in and help answer questions. So there's lots of fun stuff that we're working on here. It's going to be a wonderful way to help you 
make the next step in your own financial life. And that's really what this is all about. But the way I liken it where I was drawing levels of service is because like, hey, if you pay us 29 bucks a month and you always do everything and you always follow through, you are never going to hire one of our firms. And for that, we are like, good job, grateful. If you don't follow through, we'll look and see like, are there ways that for you, someone could reach, you could reach out to someone to have them help you if that's what you need. Maybe just as a one-time check-in. And then of course you can always hire full-time firms if you ever have that actual need. But this will be a wonderful way for you to find out what you need in a community setting, which the other key here for community that I just want to be very clear on, we do not chat about our finances with anyone. It's one of the most protected conversations we have in our lives. And so what we're looking to do is create a community where you can have a, a safe container to have conversations about money to help each other. That is the key to all of this and will be the key to having a great community. The element scorecard will be wonderful to help you understand your objective data, what's going on in your finances. Bringing that together with your own life will happen inside the community. And that's where the rubber meets the road, in my opinion. Yeah. Awesome. So go to realpersonalfinance.co. That's .co, not .com. Sure. Click on the nation, join the nation, and change your life. Get, That's get what on we track, hope. do all the things. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, we were just talking about guarantees and annuities. I can't guarantee it'll change your life, but I wish we could. We yeah. really, we really, you know, this has been a passion project for James and I for what, almost four years now? How long have we been doing this? That. Yeah, three and a half. I mean, but it's always been about helping you better your own life. And I think we're at a place where we finally have the technology and tools to help you start to do that on your own for a very, very inexpensive price. And we really hope that you'll join. Yeah, love it. Anything else for today? I think that's a great place to wrap. Nope, just thanks for the question, Adam. And thank you for everyone who brings in questions. If you have one, please submit at realpersonalfinance.co. I have a question. And um, if you found any of this to be useful and helpful, please either leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts or even better, share it with someone so we can have more people listening to actually reach our big, hairy, audacious goal of being having the USB financially literate because that is what we want. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott. And we thank will you. see everyone next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there'll be a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.